Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Well, hey guys. How are we today? Good. Hey, my name is Charlie. I'm the senior pastor. And uh, just a heads up, man, I'm feeling pretty rough this morning. So normally I'd say right now that after the service, I'm going to hang out right over here and come see me. Don't do that today. All right. Uh, I'm not going to be hanging out there. Last night, something hit. I got kids, the little Petri dishes of awesome. And so I just built and I'm running a little fever. I'm going to give you guys a, a Christmas gift this morning. You know what that is? A short sermon. All right. And now you're going to give me a gift back. Stop plotting. My goodness. Let's try this again. Let's try this again. I'm going to give you a Christmas gift. You're going to give me one back. I'm going to say a short sermon. You're going to do that side tilt head thing of empathy and be like, no. Thank you. Appreciate it. Warms my heart, everybody. (laughs) No, man, we appreciate you being here. And today is the last Sunday before Christmas Eve. And when we dive into the scriptures today, we're going to look at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. But before we do that at CBC, we believe that the word of the Lord is a magnifying glass for our souls. We have a phrase that we say around here that the spirit's move is inward to conviction, not outward to critique. And what we mean by that is that we live in a very critical culture. When we come to this place expecting God to speak to us to meet with God and to be reminded that he's worthy of worship. Amongst the busyness of the Christmas season, to meet with God and to be reminded of what's truly valuable and important and good. And so this morning, a story you've probably heard taught before several times, but God has something for us if we lean in. So we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit does his work this morning, that he speaks to our spirit so we might see more of the goodness of God. So, So pray with me. God, I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful that this <clears throat> space can recenter our, our lives, that it's centered around something that's good and, and worthy of our worship. So I pray that happens this morning among all else. Holy Spirit, speak to us. If you're comfortable, just take a couple seconds and say a quick prayer and ask that the Holy Spirit might speak to your spirit this morning. And I ask you pray for me, that I might do a good job showing the goodness of God in our story. Uh, and, you know, pray that I feel a little better through this, too. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So... You guys have been around here for a little while, some of you, and you might know that I am born on Christmas. And so about every year, two or three people send me something that looks like this. Just to be perfectly clear, these gifts are for your birthday and Christmas from the Magi to Jesus, right? <laughs> and they, every year, the thing is going to make me laugh. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I remember once when I was seven, I think I was 17, so super angsty. And my birthday, Christmas, middle child. So I'm always about like, when am I going to get recognized as I stand on a platform in front of hundreds of people? I, 
I remember my parents said that night on Christmas, they were having a party and having some people over. And I thought, on my birthday? They said, yeah. And I thought that was really unfair. And they started making all of this food, this really amazing food, this really high-end food. And all day long, I just sat there and stewed because I thought they'd forgotten about me. I thought that they forgot that it was my birthday. I thought they picked their friends over me. And I was just angry. I remember being angry in the moment. And that gets us to what we're talking about today is that sometimes around the Christmas season, not everybody's all jolly all the time. That sometimes there's some pain when it comes to Christmas for people, you know? Today we talk about that tension between the present and what's promised. If you want some numbers, I can give you some numbers on why this isn't the best time of year for certain people. There's a one poll that came out that said 55% of Americans are experiencing the holiday blues. There's many saying their loneliness is worse this year than last year, and it's explicitly higher among younger people. There's a poll that uh, captured 2,000 Americans of all demographics, and it found that one in 10 millennials, meaning those between 25 and 34, so they have no one to spend Christmas with. That number is one in 20 as people get older. 35% say that the Christmas... Uh, holiday season makes them think about what they have not achieved this year. 48% are worried about their finances over Christmas. 20% compare their Christmas to everybody else on social media. 10% wouldn't want to ask for help over Christmas because they might feel judged. 23% feel more lonely over Christmas than any other time of the year. So here's what we're talking about today. We've been talking about how we're busy and how we're supposed to be happy and those are true. But for some people, Christmas is harder. Because the Christian life is living in a painful present while also hoping for the promises of God's goodness. And so my question this morning, my question this morning is how do we do that? How do we live in the present but live out the present like we're expecting God's good promises? How do we live in a broken world while expecting the redemption of all things? One writer said it like this, around the Christmas season, around the birth of Jesus, he said, how can redemption hurt this much if it's supposed to be good, you know? And I think as followers of Jesus, our job is to step into the places of pain for others and say that God's goodness is bigger than their pain. And and that's the tension of this morning. How do we reconcile the pain of the present with the promises of God's good future? That's exactly the story we find in Zechariah. I'm going to read the whole thing up top because uh, it's one of my favorite Christmas stories. I'm going to start in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. You can follow along if you've got a Bible. It goes like this. During the reign of King Herod of Judea, there lived a, a, a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abja. He had a wife named Elizabeth who was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous in the sight of God, following all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly, but they did not have a child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both very old. Now, while Zechariah was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the holy place of the Lord and burn incense. Now the whole crowd of people were praying outside the hour of the incense offering. An angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense appeared to him and said, as Zechariah was visibly shaken when he saw the angels and seized with fear, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll name him John. Joy and gladness will come to you and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. 
He'll turn many of the people of Israel uh, to the Lord, their God, and he will go as a forerunner before the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah. Turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord and the people prepared for him. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? For I'm an old man and my wife is old as well. The angel answered, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. Now, because you did not believe my words, you'll be fulfilled in your lifetime. You will be silent, unable to speak until these things take place. Why I really like this story, this kind of gives away the end at the beginning, is you see a dude in Zechariah who in one moment was forced to either trust the present pain of a circumstance or believe in the promised good of God. You saw a guy in Zechariah who dedicated his life to the Lord, to service in the Lord. You saw a guy in Zechariah that in a single moment was forced to see through one of two lenses, the present not goodness or the promised goodness of God. And we all have that same choice every single day. It starts like this in chapter, in verse uh, five, during the reign of King Herod. It wasn't just that Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't have a kid. It wasn't just that he was a priest. It wasn't just that he was doing his job. I mean, you gotta understand the cultural, uh, uh, the cultural condition of the time for Israel was really bad. Herod was not a good man. If you go back and look at specific historicity of Herod, this is what I love about the Holy Scriptures, is it doesn't shy away from giving historical details. Usually if something's made up, you give as less detail as possible so you don't have to defend it. But the Scripture says there's this dude named Herod. He ruled Judea at this time. You can look that up. It is true. And he was a madman. And that's true. From what we know about Herod, he killed his kids because he was after power. He said to all the two-year-olds, you have to die because he was after power and he would do whatever he could, whenever he could, to make his name great at the expense of all others. Modern critics described Herod like this, the evil genius of the Judean nation as one who would be, quote, prepared to commit any crime in order to gratify his unbounded ambition. It's the context of Israel in the first century. It's the context of Zechariah and Elizabeth without kids saying, when will God come save and rescue? Because this is not the goodness that I thought we signed up for. So it says in verse six, they were both righteous in the sight of God, following all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. It doesn't mean they were perfect. It just meant that they did what they could to be righteous. When they sinned, they said, I'm sorry, and they fixed it and they changed. And then it says, but they did not have a child because Elizabeth was barren and they were very old. The word but there's important. What it does in her text in, in the story, what the author's trying to convey through the story is that her being childless was no fault of her own. In the first century world, if you were childless as a woman, it was always your fault. It wasn't the guy's fault. And, and there were some conditions that followed. One is you let your family down. Massive shame. Two, you, you let your country down because we're supposed to be a people that produces more people so that we can grow and defend and be all that we're supposed to be. And then three, you were said to be cursed by God. One author says it like this, barrenness in the ancient texts symbolized hopelessness. Without children, there was no foreseeable future for yourself, for your family, or for all of your people. And Aaron, and, he, and, and Zechariah was a priest from the line of Aaron. He was in the best family of the followers of God. And they could never kid. 
So, so Zechariah and Elizabeth had a lot to ask questions about the goodness of God and the present pain in which they lived. It goes on in verse 9. It says, He was chosen by God, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the holy place and burn incense. And this is when our story gets good. So you got to understand the role of a priest. At that time, there was 24 divisions of priests in Israel. So you worked about two weeks a year. Good gig, you know. And, uh, and there's about 18,000 of them. So when it says that he, um, the holy place and burn incense, and it says that he cast lots to see who would go in there, that's a way that they used to, dis- to distinguish and determine the will of God in the first century and in the Old Testament. It's clear that God chose Zechariah to go and burn incense at that time and place. And here's why that's really significant, is because this is a once in a lifetime thing for a priest. If you're Zechariah, you didn't ever do this before and you would never ever do this again. This is a highlight of his ministerial life in the middle of Herod, in the middle of Elizabeth, in the middle of no children. So, so he's called to do this thing that not many people did. And, and he called, he's called to go and light a fire at the altar of incense. So in the temple, what you had was three courts. You had the outer court, you had the holy court, you had the holy of holies. And so you'd walk past the outer court into the holy court and in there was the altar of incense. And the altar of incense was a symbol of God's prayers, of, of God's people's prayers to their God. You, you lit this and said, God, hear what we have to say because the world we live in isn't the world we want. It's the underlying current of the whole entire story. The altar of incense was placed before the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. So it literally was on the other side of the veil from the Ark of the Testimony, from the Ark of the Covenant, and from the very presence of God throughout the Old Testament. And in verse 12, it says, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar appeared to him. And Zechariah was visibly shaken when he saw the angel and he seized with fear. It was a dark place. There's only three components in the holy place. You had the uh, lampstand, you had the show table of bread, and you had the altar of incense. If you did your job wrong, by the way, you died. Read Leviticus 10. And so it was kind of stressful, but it was kind of a highlight. It was kind of all about the promises of what God will do and the promises to come. And it's in this moment that God meets Zechariah and the angel said, do not be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. You and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will name him John. I bet he prayed for years. Most most people are going to say that Elizabeth had John when she was about 90 years old. 90. And that day you started having kids about 13 I bet she prayed every day from 13 to 90. Can you imagine if somebody showed up and you've been praying for the better part of 80 years and said, you finally, your prayers have been heard. My response would be, no, they haven't. Look around, you know? It's in this moment that God shows up to this man and says, your prayers will be heard, have been heard. You will bear a son, your wife will, and you'll name him John. And then joy and gladness will come to you and many will rejoice for he will be great in the sight of God. Here's the moment that I think we ran into. Here's the moment when Zechariah has to choose between seeing his present through either the failed promises of God or the promises of God that always will be good. Seeing it through a failed God or a faithful God. Seeing the present through who God is or what we've seen around us. It's the tension between the present that we live in and the promises that we hope in. You know, it's funny what kind of stands out to me in this text and you know where it goes in verse 18. He says, how can I be sure of this? My wife's really old, you know? Um, And he says that so confidently because she wasn't in the room. And 
He says, how can you be sure of this? My wife's really old. And what it shows there is that in that moment where Zechariah could choose between the, the, the promises of a faithful God or the present situation, he doesn't necessarily trust God. And why I think I like this story is because I relate to this story so, so much. I want to believe fully that nothing can shake my confidence in God. I want to believe fully that no matter what life throws at me, I will be able to stand tall and say, God is still good. That is my prayer. I just don't know if that's what it actually do. I want to believe that nothing will shake my bedrockness in the goodness of God and his future promises for us, whether or not my day-to-day shows or tells that same story. And Zechariah in this text got that moment and he did not pass. Most people talk about Zechariah's questioning. He wasn't questioning how it happened. We said, how can this happen? He's, he's questioning the capability of God to deliver because he hadn't for so many years before. And that's what happens. When God is silent, when we can't see the goodness of God, when we've forgotten, so often it's hard for us. It's hard for us in those moments to remember that God is bigger than our circumstances. Zechariah didn't. And what stands out to me in that moment is he is surrounded by elements that only priests could see once in their life that show God's faithfulness. There were three things in that room. There was the golden lampstand. That golden lampstand was constantly lit and it, it, it hearkened back to them being uh, driven out of, uh, rescued out of Egypt and led around the wilderness by the fire of God. It stood for the fact that God is their life, that God is their, uh, literally their light, that God will sustain them forever. He's in the middle of this moment and he's staring at the lampstand and he can't see it. And then the other wall in the north wall is the showbread table. There's 12 loaves of bread baked every Sunday and put, or on the Sabbath and put in that room and they would eat, just the priests would eat that. That's why when Jesus comes and he says, I am the light of the world, he's talking about the lamp and the show, and he says, I'm the bread of life, he's talking about the show table. He's specifically referencing things in the holy place, saying, I'm the fulfillment of all of these things you did to try to find the presence of God. How you doing? My name is Jesus, I'm here for you. And so in this moment, Zechariah has his angel appear and this angel said, Zechariah, do you trust that God is good? Look at the lampstands and look at the show table. And and the bread represented the intimacy with which the people of God knew God. It represented the fact that God would sustain them and go with them. And again, likened back to being redeemed out of Egypt that you might see the manna of God every day and that you knew God so well that he would eat with you face to face. It's called the, the, the table of face, essentially in the Hebrew. And so Zechariah in this moment is surrounded by elements that are hopefully remind him of God's faithfulness, but he couldn't see it because the pain of the present had blinded him, you know? It was two weeks ago. Uh, my wife and I took my daughter to, and the other one, the son, <coughs> but he's too young to understand what's going on. Uh, we took our kids to uh, the Polar Express. You guys know what this thing is? It's in Grapevine, and uh, it's something, man. My daughter was so excited all day long. She said, we're going to take a train to go see Santa. And we booked this thing, literally, we booked this thing in July on a beach in Tampa because we knew it would fill up, you know? She was so excited, so excited, so excited. And you park and you walk and you show up and my kids are in little Christmas pajamas and I'm stuck on this train of awfulness singing Christmas songs for like 45 minutes. Not my cup of tea, everybody, you know? 
and there are grown people that are dressed just like their kids, and I'm trying to understand this, but they seem very, very happy. And at the end of it, you go into this little tent, and they do this skit that has no redeeming value whatsoever, and they hand your kids chocolate milk and say, this is something else, and it's magical, and you walk out, and there's fake snow everywhere, and then you get in the line to see Santa. It's beautiful. It's magical. It's awesome. It's not, it's not cheap, all right? And uh, at all this, at the end of the night, we're going to pick up our pictures from our kids in Santa. And there's this one little fluffy doll thing that my daughter really wanted. And she said, Dad, can we buy this? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, but I want it. And I said, that, oh, okay, but no, we cannot buy this. We have spent enough money on you today, you know? And uh, it didn't end well. It was like 8.30, so past bedtime. And she runs out of this little tent, and she's laying in the middle of the sidewalk in Grapevine for all the others to see, screaming and crying at the top of her lungs, you never buy me anything. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, look, I, <laughs> I, compassion at that moment for me was fleeting at best. And so I'm like, get up right now. And literally strangers are like, Who, who's, does this one has parents? And I was like, nah, for long, you know. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, man, we just dropped a bunch of money on this. There's a train. Look around. You can see the train. You can see the elves. The fake snow is still falling on your face. And you're going to sit there in that moment and pretend like we don't care for you. or We're not good for you. We don't buy you things. Zechariah is sitting in a place he was only going to see once in his life that told the story of God's faithfulness to his people as he redeemed and restored throughout their history when they didn't deserve it. And the angel says, believe in God's good faithfulness and you just can't do it. That's what breaks my heart about this story. You know? Uh, also, I think that's <laughs> what I relate to the most in this story. Daryl Bach says it like this sometimes even good people have doubts about God's promise. And so, when it comes to the tension in our story about God's faithfulness in the middle of the present, is do we trust? Do we trust that His promises are still good? It got me thinking about this psalm. This is Psalm in Psalm 131, excuse me. In Psalm 131, let me read some of it for you. It says, <clears throat> But I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. John Stott says about this psalm, so Spurgeon says about this psalm, he says it's the shortest to read, but the slowest to learn. And what the psalm is telling us when it says, I am like a weaned child with its mother, a child that isn't weaned is given to their desires, is given to their passions, is given into the lie of the present and forgets the promises that we've been made, that have been made. And so what David's talking about in the psalm is he wants to be someone, he wants to be someone that in the middle of the present, whether he can see God or not, he can know that God is with him. In the middle of the present, he can understand the goodness of God, even though it might not look like God is good. He says, I'm like a weaned child, I'm content. And then he says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. What do we do in those moments around the Christmas season when it doesn't seem so hopeful, when maybe it's harder for us to lean into the promises of God in the middle of the present, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Like we children, we don't give in the desires of the here and now, but we remember, but we remember that God's been faithful before. And this is why we say it's a season to remember. 
because the faithfulness of God sometimes is hard to be seen in the present, but he gives us so much confidence in his future promises. And in a season where you get all the feels, man, happy, mad, sad, glad, I think we as Christians need to be a kind of people that remember that God's always been faithful so that when people forget, we're right there to tell them the truth of who our God is. One writer says it like this, we can trust God because he is who he is. We must trust him because we are who we are. Why do we need to remember in this time of year? Because as we remember God's past faithfulness, it gives us confidence in the present about his promised future for you and me. Because sometimes this season's hard for people. So this is how our story ends in verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, so John is born. And they went to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he must be named John. And they said to her, but none of your relatives bear this name. So in that world, you named your kids after you very narcissistic community, the first century Jewish world. <laughs> you only named them family names. So, so it was really odd that John would name, uh, Zechariah would name his kid John. And even his friends and family shouted when they said, we're going to name him John. Don't do that. That's not a family name. You shouldn't do that. And once again, Zechariah has this moment, doesn't he? He has this moment. He has this moment again, do I give in to the present circumstance or do I trust the promises of a God who is faithful? He has this moment all over again, nine months later when he's been silent. You know what he does? Keep reading. So they made signs to the baby's father inquiring what they want to name his son and he asked for a writing tablet and this is what Zechariah wrote. His name is John. And they were all amazed. I like the story because for me, it's a redemptive story of Zechariah, this man who was supposed to believe in the promises of God, but forgot even though he's in the special place of God because we feel the same way sometimes, but then he did slowly but surely remember that God's future promises sometimes can't be seen in the present, but when we remember the faithfulness of God in the present, it gives us confidence in his future promises. So we celebrate Advent because it's not just the birth of Jesus now. It's our salvation forever and always. We celebrate Advent because it's Jesus coming now with the tag of the promise of Jesus coming again. We celebrate Advent because it causes us to remember something that happened 2,000 years ago that gives us more confidence in a good God who's always faithful, who promised good things, who will not let us down. We celebrate and we remember Advent because it reminds us that God's promises are good and that he's faithful. And so I'd say in this moment, what do we do as a people? <laughs> Pretty easy application, but, but we just find times to remember God's faithfulness. And I don't know about you, uh, Christmas might be hard for you, it might be easy for you, you might go in waves in and out. You might find yourself lonely one Christmas this year. And in those moments of doubt, remember what God has done. And if you need some help remembering that, find some people who'll be honest with you and they'll tell you. That's what we do. In those moments of doubts, we remember what God has done because it bolsters as we remember our, our trust in his future promises. And I think as a church, that's what we're supposed to be together. I think as a church, that's our job is to show people that God is still good amongst the present pain. As a church, our role in the middle of this present moment, not yet living into the promised future, our role is to say, no, remember that God is good. And if you've forgotten it, I won't let you, you know? So like two weeks ago, our kidsmen team got together and pulled off this event. We called it the Big Give. 
and some people were around for it. But basically, we got a bunch of kids, a bunch of families together, and uh, we, we tagged in this little like Mission Impossible logo, and we just basically said, guys, we're going to give you some money. Now go do something good with it, you know? So families came, and we handed them an envelope, and we handed them um, some ideas, and we said, hey, what if you could use some money and just make somebody see the goodness of God in this moment if they're having a tough Christmas season? And we charged families with that. And guys, the stories that came back were incredible. We had one family that went and bought donuts for a hospital and took them to the ER, like $80 worth of donuts, you know? And they said that the doctors came out with tears in their eyes and says it was beautiful and it was good and they needed that. We had another family who knew someone down the road who just moved into their school. And so what they did was they gathered all these supplies, kind of made a goodie bag, went and dropped it off at this family's house and said, you know what? God just put you on our hearts. You know, I don't know if you know anybody in the area. You just moved in. We're thinking about you and God loves you. And they called later on and said, you don't know what this meant to be. My husband went in AFib on Monday and he's been in the hospital. We don't have any family here and we didn't know we were seen and now we are. As followers of Jesus in the middle of the Christmas season, our job is to remember the faithfulness of God. Remember what he's done. We might have doubts. And to go forward and tell that story to all those other people too who might have doubts. So as we wrap and look, guys, this is a sub 30 message. I'm just letting you know right now, my promises are true. <laughs> be a people, be a people who meet the doubt of this world with what God has done for you so that they might believe in his future promises as well in the middle of a present that might not be so good. Let me pray. God, I'm thankful that you are always good and you're always faithful. You're always present even if we can't see you, even if we can't understand what you're doing even if we've forgotten. I pray if we ever get in that moment of looking through the lens of the present or looking through the hope of your promised future that we choose the promised future. Give us people in our lives that help us to see that way. Let us be that kind of people for others and ours as well. It might, as we celebrate Christmas this year, it bolster our confidence, not just in a Jesus who came, but a Jesus who's coming again. Because God is seeking to redeem and restore and to right the wrongs, to bring heaven to earth and to save. And that's what we hope for. Pray these things in his name. Amen.